Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about this week is The Cormorant by Chuck Wendig, who we've had on the show, and we've actually reviewed a couple of his books already. But uh, for in case you have not listened to those episodes, here's a little bit about Chuck. He is Eagle Parts novelist, screenwriter, and game designer, a.k.a. an all-around freelance pen monkey. You can probably find him on the side of the highway holding a sign, Will Write for Booze. He currently lives in the wilds of Pennsylvania with his wife, dog, and infant heir to the Wendig throne. You can find him dispensing dubious writing advice at his blog, TerribleMinds.com. Chuck is a nominee for the 2013 John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer. We had to do this review late in the month, lest this turn into Chuck Wendig month again. Yeah. <laughs> We have, re- re- in the year 2013, reviewed, this is the third book of his we're reviewing. Yeah, it, it is. Which I believe hits a limit. I think we just can't do any more after this one. Yeah. But the year's over, so I guess that's okay. Yeah. Hey, can you say the title of the book again? The Cormorant. Oh, man, I've been pronouncing that wrong in my head for a while, though. I guess we should. I mean, I, that's how I'm saying it. Is oh, can we find that British guy that pronounces the words? <laughs> Anthropophagites. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hold on, we're going to find out how to say it with a British accent. Howjaysay.com. That's a plug. Hold on, hold on. Olivia's his favorite. Cormorant. Cormorant. Isn't that what I said? Yeah. Or did, did I say rant? That guy, that guy sounds so much cooler than you. Sorry. It's all right. One day. Um, yeah, the cormorant. I'll, I'll, I'll stop saying cormorant, which is how it was, it's going to be in my head. Here is the synopsis as pulled from wherever Rob pulls things from. Miriam is on the road again, having transitioned from thief to killer. Hired by a wealthy businessman, she heads down to Florida to practice the one thing she's good at. But in her vision, she sees him die by another's hand, and on the wall, written in blood, is a message just for Miriam. She's expected. Bum, bum, I have to say that um, you would think that. So, all right. So, for people who didn't hear the previous reviews and have lived in the dark and don't know about Miriam Black, Miriam has a gift slash curse um, where when she touches somebody, she sees how they're going to die. She is like present at the moment of their death. Um, it's got to be hard to keep coming up with interesting concepts around that. Yeah. But this one, that somebody is using her talent, you know, in the future to communicate with her in the past, is pretty goddamn genius. Yeah, definitely pretty clever. Um, but yeah, man, like, how many different ways can you approach someone, like, being constantly in trouble or in danger or just in adventures because they know by touching someone when they're going to die or how they're going to die. I have an answer. It's at least four times. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's only three books we've read so far, Olivia. Yes, but there is a fourth one <laughs> forthcoming. Oh, perfect. It's forthcoming. Oh, this wow. one might have been third coming. That's, uh, man, we're killing it today. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're on fire. I think we're both kind of uh, holiday hungover, not from liquor or anything, just from having to deal with the holidays. Hey, you know, technically this is a holiday in Canada. We're recording oh, on is. Boxing Day. It is Boxing Day. I'm going to go slug somebody because it's Boxing Day. <laughs> we actually had this conversation last year about Boxing Day, and I, I, I remember specifically saying it's really confusing to me, and then you defined it, and I have no idea what the hell you said. Mm. I don't either. I think if I remember correctly, I'm not going to look this up. I think it's kind of like the day the servants got to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, something like that. Like the the working class? It's the day that the servants put on boxing gloves and punch the people they work for. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, wait, I have people that work for me. I don't think I want that to happen so much anymore. <laughs> do you have servants or do you just, are you a, uh, a boss? I don't refer to them as that because we have an HR department, but in my head, it kind of works that way. Wow. All right. Dude, does that surprise you at all? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> so you sounded shocked. 
All right, we should probably talk about uh, about the Calmarant. To, to really briefly sum up the two previous books, the first book um, was really about uh, discovering Miriam and her talents uh, or curse or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the premise was that she touches um, someone and uh, sees that his death involves him calling out to her. So she wants to try and save him because she's a he's a he's a nice guy and everything. And um, that first book is basically the story of her, you know, doing that. The second story picks up where she's discovered the consequences of trying to stop someone's death that she's already seen happen. And um, people, uh, other people in the world have, have picked up on her um, ability. And I don't know, there's kind of more of an exploration of the idea of other people having similar abilities and wanting to exploit people with those abilities and stuff like that. Am I more or less right about that, Livius? Yes. Spot on, sir. <clears throat> Spot on. Toward uh, the end of the second book, uh, Miriam discovers that her mother, uh, who she had a very, very um, difficult relationship with, is living in Florida, and it seems as if she's going to be heading toward Florida for a possible reunion with her mother, and that's more or less how the second book wrapped up. Book three starts several months down the road. Uh, Miriam is shacked up with uh, with with some people, um, just kind of doing her thing, and it starts out with, you know, a, a basically an experiment to see if she can um, get somebody to alter their own future simply by telling them exactly when and how they're going to uh, to perish. Any bets on how well that worked? Uh, I read the book, so it's unfair for me to, <laughs> to bet on this. But if I were if I were listening to this podcast, I would bet that this probably didn't work out the way she wanted it to. Yeah. Um, so I, got, I don't think it's spoilery to kind of explain what happens, but um, mm. she goes to this person's predicted death um, to see what happens, and he ends up not having heeded her advice and gets himself into the exact situation that he's going to die in and she's kind of left with a choice of whether she's going to intervene or not um, to, to save this guy which I guess is overall I guess more more or less part of the experiment as well do you um, I don't know if someone told you and, and here's the thing I would think if somebody told me with some certainty how they thought I was going to die and gave me like a date and time I think I'd probably listen yeah, I would take their word for it. I'd be like, "What's the worst thing could happen?" Like, see, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't change my whole life for it. But if it was like, "Hey, on Thursday, don't go to the grocery store." Well, I mean, there's limits too. There, if they were like, "If you don't start banging dudes all the time, you're gonna die like six months from now," I'd be like, "Well, you know, like." Well, that's what some... I'm saying. If it wasn't like a life-altering type thing, like right. like this guy, he's told that you know you're going to be in this area on such and such a date, and he's there on a. You know, an errand, I guess kind of an important errand, but, you know, an errand all the same, so. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I would think, I would think that I would listen. I would, too. So, what? Rob is somehow going to use this to his advantage. One day he's going to call me up and be like, dude, dude, seriously, if you (laughs) don't do this. So, I've seen the future. You're you're showing my hand. So, after Miriam's... um, failed experiment um you know she has cause to to leave the area that she's currently living in and uh with a promise of a gig a one-time gig there is a, a wealthy person who's obsessed with death um not necessarily how wealthy he is but he's got enough money that he uh, offers to pay her um ten thousand dollars to uh to come down and 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 just tell him how how she's uh how he's going to die so she heads down to florida and uh yeah that's when she gets the 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 message from the future so she sees this guy's death and there is a a message waiting for her yeah and now we have to be very careful with what we say about the book because um i mean really a lot of it is tied into the whole idea of like someone knows how her gift or curse or whatever you want to call it works and is using that almost to like taunt her but also to draw her in and um, and is manipulating their knowledge of how fate works to 
kind of play a game with Miriam, a very deadly game that involves lots of people dying. Yeah, and it should be said that uh, one of the things that I liked about the the second book was the introduction of other characters with powers, and that continues on into this one. And and the thing I like is that not everyone has the same power. Everyone has kind of their own individual thing that they can do. Mm Mm-hmm. Which makes it a lot more interesting than just running into other people that do the same. You know what I mean? It's like having you know multiple superheroes that can fly and they're super strong. That gets boring. It's, it's how people can work together or against one another using a distinctly different, you know, right. gift slash curse. Because with all of them, it's a gift and a curse. And all of them are born out of some sort of trauma. It's not as if you're just, you know innately ability you have the innate ability to do something mm-hmm. you are gifted with this type of ability because you have gone through some um horrific and sometimes like you know like either you've gone through some incredible trauma or you died and came back or something like that um one thing i wanted to ask you <laughs> he touches on a lot of stuff at the beginning um that i think that we we're curious about, or at least I know that um, when we actually interviewed Chuck Wendig, I think this was a topic of conversation, but it may just be like we'd read interviews with him, but it was something that came up about like Miriam's uh, curse talent in particular. Uh, she sees when people die, so like, does she see the way that technology has changed? And does she see like, can she like, you know, um, mm-hmm. bet on a, you know, a horse race and win a ton of money and those types of things, which I feel like. When I read through that, I was like, this is some ground we've covered before. I know we've talked about this at least. I don't know if it was with Chuck or just by our on our own, but I know that we talked about stuff like that. Yeah, I remember talking about it too. And, and it is addressed. And that's, I mean, you know, how much does stuff change in a, in a short period of time anyway, you know? Yeah. And really think about this. And this is outside of the book. I'm just talking here. But if 20 years ago we were looking at today... We'd be like, oh, hey, computers look a lot cooler than they did. <laughs> the phones are a lot smaller. You know what I mean? Yeah. There aren't significant changes to, to somebody who's witnessing a you know, five-minute period or, or whatever. You know, we're not in flying cars yet, or you know, we don't have jetpacks, yes. sadly, to some people's dismay. Apparently, people on the Internet are really upset about jetpacks. I don't quite understand that. but I don't know why they want them so badly. I know, right? Like, it's just like, get in a car, dude. Anyway, I just thought it was cool. It was almost like, all right, so I'm going to harken back to pre-podcast times now where uh, I had sent an email to, what book was I reading? This is the Christopher Moore story. I don't know if I've told it before. A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. And I dug one of the things he wrote in there so much that I sent him an email about it because at the back of his, on the back cover of his books, he's like, send an email to the author. And so I did, and I was like, hey, I really dug this. And he was writing... um, the book fool at the time and he responded and he's like oh yeah and then i'm you know i just wrote this line i thought you know like i thought you might get a kick out of it and he gave me a line and so like when i ended up reading the book i was like that's the fucking line that i you know knew about months and years ago that was really cool nice there you go see like seeing into the future that's right it was exactly i was miriam black for that that moment i read that email (sighs) all right i think we're done covering story here right Pretty much, yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. I, I knew this was going to be short on the the story review portion of this, um, just to avoid spoilers. But Miriam, yeah, she's just good old Miriam. It's nice to to visit with her again for people who aren't familiar. Miriam is abrasive. I think is the right word for 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 Miriam, right? Abrasive. She's kind of a crazy bitch. She's a little bit of a crazy bitch. So. Um, wisecracking constantly and has um has very significant issues with developing any type of relationship with anybody I, you know nobody can can get close to her and that uh it, it, to be honest as great as the stories are miriam is is the reason that i that i picked up another book you know what i mean she is a phenomenal character she's very entertaining and, and funny and um just that snarky kind of I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I don't know anybody like this in real life, which is good, because if you had to deal with someone like this on a regular basis, you'd probably want to murder him. But it makes for goddamn good fiction reading. And I don't want to go too deeply down the um, 
the feminism road. But if you want to talk about a really well-balanced and well-written female character, like, um, great, great character. She's written very strong. Um, and, and I don't know, like, he doesn't have her just crying every time something's going wrong. Like, she's just a strong person that, like, she gets hit with shit all the time and she just, like, toughs through it. And, like, you know, that's just the way she grew up was... You know, you gotta just fight through things and, and, you know, just move on with life. She's very much, like, tough-skinned, and but not in a way, like, not as a weakness where, like, she's running away from issues. She just kind of, like, pushes through them. So, definitely a very strong, um, well-written female character. I just thought it was amusing that you called her a crazy bitch and then said she was well-balanced the next time you spoke. <laughs> well... I mean, like, anybody who has the curse that she has is probably going to be a bit of a crazy bitch. <laughs> like anybody. Anybody that has that is crazy, right? Just, yeah. Ugh. So we do see, and, and there is mention of characters from previous um, stories. Uh, I don't think that... You would definitely benefit from reading the first two books. I don't necessarily know that it's 100% um, needed in order to get this book. Um but uh, we see a little bit more of, of Miriam's kind of backstory and a little more insight into why she is the way she is. There's a little more analysis of things between her and her mother, which obviously, um, you know, and, and this is covered in a previous book, but, you know, it is the catalyst for why Miriam is the way she is. She wasn't exactly raised in a, in a perfect household. So we do see a little bit more of that, and it does lend a little more credibility i think to her persona to see a little more of the the developing miriam for sure can i talk about my uh, observations absolutely this is where i'm gonna tune out for 15 minutes because i got none of this i'm gonna make it really quick so a couple things um the the theme throughout the books there's a very heavy bird theme so the first book was called blackbirds uh the second book was called mockingbird and this one's called the cormorant which um all of those are different birds obviously um and the different birds have different meanings but miriam's life and existence post uh getting this ability has all been very um significantly tied in with birds so one of the things that that was interesting was that um there's a the cormorant the actual bird the cormorant is talked about in the book and explained uh she's on a boat with um a guy um and he's helping her with something but he uses this bird to help him fish and essentially what he does is he ties a rope around the bird's neck um, not in a way that's strangling it it's just kind of loosely tied there but then the bird jumps in the water and you know grabs fish in its mouth beak birds have beaks I guess right Mm -hmm. and um, the rope is there to keep the bird from fully swallowing the fish unless they're too small so like it's essentially a way he's using the he's using the bird as a hunter to catch fish and he gets to keep the big enough fish so anyway so this is her observing the bird i'm going to read a little quote really quick she's sure of it it turns that freaky turquoise eye right toward her the skin around it is puckered and leathery kind of what she imagines a dinosaur's asshole looks like it blinks but it doesn't blink something slides over its eye something cloudy and opaque that darkens the eye but does not hide it Jerry must see the look on Miriam's face. He says, nictitating membrane. She slides that eye that she slides it over her eye, so when she dives, she can see underwater. It's like a reptile thing. But she's a bird. The dinosaurs never went extinct, they just became birds. That explains it. So they're all operating on a reptilian brain a reptile brain. More advanced than a reptile's, but at the core, yeah. It's still that prehistoric kill, screw, sleep, eat thing. Miriam thinks that sounds familiar. Maybe that's why she likes birds and they like her. So, kind of a whole thing about how birds evolve from reptiles and, you know, we have a very basic reptilian instinct to do certain things in life and, and, you know, that part of our brain controls, like, certain impulses and stuff like that. So it was really really cool that he kind of went into that a little bit. And the, uh, the kill... What is it? kill screw eat sleep or whatever yes yeah that is referenced in in previous both books right i believe so yeah. i don't know your memory's better for that kind of stuff than i just agree with you so it was nice if because you say it happened it happened 
<laughs> so it's something that appeared in more of like, um, and just like an instinctual way, I believe, in the previous books. But in this one, there's more of a uh, an explanation. It's kind of expounded on a little bit why that instinct is, is something that happens in, in her specifically. But like kind of she gets to tie it back to um, parts of the brain and the way that we work and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, my whole take on the bird thing? Huh. I like birds. Birds are cool. Birds are badass. Yeah. Think about think about the, you know, stuff we can't talk about. Anyway. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, there is some very overt references to um, in a very old poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Um the overall gist of the it's an epic poem that's been talked about for decades and centuries like i don't know centuries but like a long long time so i'm not going to go into i'm not going to be a literary scholar about this poem because i'll sound like i don't know what the hell i'm talking about which essentially i don't um but boils down to this uh this uh boat out at sea at some point there's a bird that's supposed to lead them somewhere um this mariner guy ends up killing it um which everybody on the boat basically blames him for the fact that like that kind of dooms the ship and they they die and he's kind of doomed for the rest of his life to tell the tale of how he killed this bird and it you know sealed their fates and stuff like that so the reason i bring this up first of all is that it's like a pretty strong literary reference to something else uh chapter 59 the title is at length did cross an albatross uh, miriam goes to a bar and um, she orders a, she just says she wants a drink, and she says make it big and set it on fire. And the bartender brings back a drink called Ancient Mariner. Um, so the four chapters in that, that area, 59 through 62, are named uh, from quotes from the poem. And really the overall significance and how it ties, I think, in with this book specifically is... Um, Basically, the the idea of the albatross, the symbol of the albatross around someone's neck, is essentially um, kind of a something that you know we use. It's a, it's an offhanded reference now uh, that means you know like a burden of guilt, something that we've done that we're guilty of that's uh, getting in the path of us, you know, our lives going on or us being successful or whatever it happens to be. So, a lot of the stuff that Miriam did with that experiment and and her playing with her her curse toward the beginning of the book could be considered kind of an albatross and and what happens throughout the rest of the book could be considered you know the consequence of her doing what she did boom I think that uh, yeah I have to agree with all of that even the stuff I didn't quite understand there was something about the marines I don't know <laughs> a mariner is different than the marines is that a marina merit? No, never mind. Do you have any quotes? <laughs> um, yes, I do. Let me get to my quotes. Do you, do you, any guesses on how many quotes I have? Four. Oh, my Lord. Sixteen. I would have had more. We had a PDF. Can I, can I tell you about the PDF? Why we were reading it in PDF form? Yes. So... Um, Angry Robot, the publisher, um, had a NetGalley early copies of this, which I jumped on because I thought it would be great. We want to review this. So, yeah, like two and a half months ago, I think. But we really review books when they're very close to available, which this should be within days now. Probably by the time you're listening to this podcast, you should be able to buy this. So last week I go, hey, it's time to review that book. So I tell Rob, hey, I'll get on that NetGalley thing. I'll get you a copy of it over. First of all, publishers... I can respect you wanting to lock down your book using something like NetGalley, but talk about making people jump through ridiculous hoops to read your book. NetGalley, terrible. Dude, I like PDFs better than I like NetGalley. Yeah, surprisingly, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. So I go to NetGalley, and I, I, you know, I, I sign in, and I go, all right, here we go, and I go to the book, and it says, um, this book has been archived. So I go, crap, they pulled it. There was apparently some amount of time they had it up for. So I go, that's okay. You know what? Angry Robot. We reviewed Chuck Wendig books. We reviewed Penance by them. We know people. We're booked, right? I'll just shoot them an email. Mm-hmm. I shoot them an email going, man, I really suck at NetGalley. Any chance you could email us a copy, right? 
I got to text Rob to tell him that I couldn't get in. I had to email him. I already have a response. I go, this is perfect, right? Considering the fact it's like 3 in the morning in Great Britain where the angry robot is. So uh, it's an out-of-office response. Now, this was on the 17th or the 18th of this month. And the out-of-office response says, Hi, I'm sorry. I'm out of office till like January 8th. <laughs> so apparently publishers in the uk are just absolutely unavailable for like three or four weeks at a time come winter so i reached out to chuck wendig and i said hey i'm a bonehead and chuck was nice enough to send us a pdf so thanks chuck thank you mr wendig you made it much much easier for us to read a book because we wouldn't have been able to read it without you and much much more difficult apparently for livius to choose quotes yeah it's it's not yeah well, so, I'm going to kick it off. Why don't you go ahead? So why don't you read like four, and then I'll read one, and then you can read four. All right. So toward the beginning of the book, uh, there's a part where Miriam is basically using her ability to pay the rent, in to, so to speak. So she'll just you know charge people ten bucks or whatever to tell them how they die, um, whether they believe her or not, whatever. Um, she's telling someone she doesn't like that she has a kind of mis- mutual distaste with uh, this one chick uh, early in the book and she's telling the girl like she's kind of making up a fake death for the girl and uh, this is how it goes incurable gonorrhea Miriam chirps it's a thing going around some high octane STD that refuses any efforts to treat it it's going to be awful it'll feel like you're pissing acid your fallopian tubes will swell up like microwaved hot dogs you know what's the worst you know what the worst is though two words rectal infection bletch Yucky, your butthole. Shut up, hooker. Will look like a blown bike tire. Really, really sad. What a shame. <laughs> I think bletch is supposed to be blech. Blech. I think that's... It's bletch to me. Bletch. Anyway. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like belching, only worse. Belch. Yeah. Um, another quick one. Uh, she was accused of, of not being such a good person, and... Um, her response is um, the devil is not for the record all up in my coochie it's a little bit of the sarcasm of Miriam yeah I love Miriam like I said I don't want to hang out with her you know I right. like to be able to close the book when I'm done <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> I got another one that kind of ties into the other um, kind of telling the fortune thing she was doing mm-hmm. she tells them how they're going to die and she lies about it most of the time Oh, you're going to die in a fiery jet ski accident. Helicopter crash. Skiing K-12, dude. I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming it's probably cool for skiers. Uh, Eaten by a bear in your living room. I know, right? So crazy. Uh, Ebola. Monkey flu. Squirrel pox. You die while base jumping at the same time you're fucking a Ukrainian supermodel. Good for you. High five. Up top. It's good stuff. I did really like that, uh, that whole scene. Um, all right, here's uh, here's one. So she she's at a house, and there's a there's a dog, kind of like a little yippy little dog. <laughs> Rupert barks at her, row row row, yap yap yap. She takes a mop bucket from a nearby closet and sticks it over the dog. The mop bucket moves around like a Roomba. <laughs> that was excellent. I stuff. had that one. Oh, I didn't have that one. I thought I had that one. My turn. Yep. Uh, really quick one, uh, because this takes place in Florida. Her thoughts about Florida. It's America's hot, moist land wang. Um, this is her meeting up with uh, the rich person who wants to, to hear her the way he dies. Let's do this. Get it over with. You didn't hire me to drink your booze and threaten you with knives and snark at you like a snarky snarker snarks. So place your hand in mine and let's take a hop in the Grim Reaper's hell-powered stagecoach and see where that bony motherfucker takes us. That's good stuff. She's a little bit crazy. This first paragraph is just the lead-up to the, to the great line. But she's also cloaked in the garb of Florida. Beachy peach t-shirt with a palm tree on it. Khaki shorts, a pair of flip-flops flip-flops it's like watching the devil paint his toenails pink <laughs> that's good stuff uh, a couple quick ones for me if that's all right mm-hmm. uh, when i like this is a little more somber and serious when i like people i want to know how and when they'll leave me it's pretty kind of sad um 
I'm gonna I'm gonna redact a name from this so it's not spoilery just in case it might be. Um, but she's talking to someone and she says, "Fate fights back." Someone. It twists like a snake in your grip, and the only thing you can do is cut its head off before it bites you. That's good stuff. Indeed. I've got one last one. There it is, the anger, the resentment. Nobody likes being told they're going to die. They struggle like a sparrow caught in a man's hand, flapping and scratching and pecking. Good stuff, sir. Another another bird reference, but I really like that a lot. This is someone else talking to Miriam. This is the last quote I'm going to do um, about fate and, and what she does uh, and how it affects fate. Uh, sometimes fate is about people dying, whether you like it or not. But you wouldn't understand that. And you come along and you fuck things up. The people who are supposed to die, you save them from the edge of that pit. And the others standing there watching, you kick them into the darkness. You keep people in a... In, you keep people in the pattern who aren't supposed to be there anymore, and you put others in their place. You're damaging things. You can't you can't go around doing that. That's good stuff. And actually I'm gonna i I'm gonna do one more just so I don't end up on such a somber note. Um <laughs> This is Miriam having a conversation with someone I don't really remember. You sound defensive. I'm not defensive. When you say that when you say it like that, I'm not defensive. You just sound doubly defensive, like when a guy loudly protests he doesn't gobble donkey cock. You can be pretty sure that guy totally gobbles donkey cock any chance he can get. <laughs> oh. Going, Good stuff. Going out on the donkey cock, Liv. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you didn't want to go out on a somber note, so we went right to bestiality. <laughs> Leave it to us. That's right. Um, let's do wrap ups. You get to go first this week. All right. So um, anybody who hasn't listened to the previous two reviews, I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of see the future a little bit. Um, Livius and I both gave five stars to um, Blackbirds and Mockingbird. Um, here's the reason. Chuck Wendig writes a goddamn good book. And now, we, um, you know, on top of the fact that, like, I really dug this book and I dug what it did and I dug how it explored further and expanded on the ideas he's built in the other books. Um, you know, it just, uh, it's a great continuation of a really, really good storyline. Miriam is growing. She's experiencing different things. She's seeing consequences and she's kind of learning how to be more of a full person. At the same time, we get to see the further consequences of like changing fate. Uh, we get to see how other people play into the plans of how things are supposed to be versus how they end up being. Um, really interesting characters. You got all that snark and that wit and the just adorable funniness of Miriam, but at the same time you get the seriousness of of what she is burdened with and what the other people in the book are burdened with. So um, it's just a really light, really entertaining read that um, when you dig deeper, it's got the layers if you look for them, like... Um, the references and the parallels to the rhyme of the ancient mariner thinking about things like um like our reptilian instincts versus you know how, you know the other parts of our brain and stuff which we consider to be more refined whatever overall um i just love the miriam black series and and i really dig uh chuck wendig in general so this book is definitely five stars for me you know he's got other books that aren't Miriam Black books, right? Uh, I didn't, didn't hear that. <laughs> Miriam or nothing. It's just, it's, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I should read some of his other books. I'd love to squeeze something in um, outside of the podcast. So maybe, maybe one day. Um, I'm going to keep this short because I think Rob covered um, pretty much everything I want to say. I'm very excited about where Miriam is going and further introduction of other people with powers is going to make this um, um, even more interesting as she has to figure out how to use her abilities, you know, and to, to thwart people that have other powers. So um, my hope is that it doesn't turn into the to true blood. We just have crazy people running around all over the place. But I think that Wendig has this 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 story arc pretty well under control, it seems, through three books that, that he manages to keep it fresh and interesting. 
um, like Rob said, Miriam's just goddamn adorable in, in her foul-mouthed, you know, kind of snarky way, and she's just an interesting character to read. I could see myself reading Miriam Black even if the stories weren't as good as they are, because there are a few series where I read, and I read for the characters, and you go, hey, what's that book about? And I go, I have no idea. I've read 12 of them. I couldn't tell you one of the storylines, but I can tell you that the characters are what you come back for in the character interaction, and although the stories are great, um, Miriam is is obviously the heart of this series, and uh, I think I'm going to be with uh, with Miriam Black books uh, for for quite some time. For as long as Wendig keeps uh, churning them out, I'm going to echo Rob here and go five stars as well. Looking forward to Thunderbird. Uh, yeah, I'm putting in right now. I'm I'm emailing Wendig and suggesting Big Bird for book five. <laughs> well, yeah. If only there was a way to vote for the, the title of the next book. Wasn't he doing if something only. like that? He was doing like a quick like he was doing he was doing like come up with interesting <laughs> suggestions. At the end, he was like, "Listen, the next one's already named, so I'm not going to use whatever." <laughs> it's like like the worst contest ever. <laughs> you got to admire that on some level, though. He's like, "I want you guys to like participate in something. It's not going to do any good, but let's mm-hmm. have some fun with it anyway." Oh, speaking of which. Yeah. Contests that don't do any good. Yeah. Um, but we're going to have some fun with anyway. I, and we didn't tease this at the top of the show, but we have the Donnie booked round one winner announcements. Yeah. Uh, there's six of them and two of us. So I think we can just alternate, right? I think we should make people wait a little longer. You think so? Yeah. We've got all kinds of other stuff. All right. All right. So the holidays are over. Rob, did you get everything you wanted for the holidays? Um, I did. I did not get my two front teeth. All right. Well, you know why? That's because front teeth cost money. And you know what we don't make on this podcast? <laughs> Any money at all? Any money. So uh, a, 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 a listener of the show, someone who's been on the show, came up with a, a, a way to monetize the podcast. And I think Finally. it's goddamn genius. Yeah. Yeah. So our good friend and somewhat neighbor, I guess, uh, Adam Otten, uh put together a little bit of a holiday um, holiday special slash um, way to get your money out of your pockets and into ours. So without further ado, here's some holiday cheer from A. Adam Otten. Ho, ho, ho! JG the Red Face booked him in here with an incredible offer from Booked Industries, just in time for the holidays. Each week you hear Robin Livius, two guys, talk about the books they're reading. But what if I told you they're a way to pull back the curtain on their process? Well, because that's exactly what I'm telling you. Introducing the Booked Holiday Reading Series. 63 CDs of Robin Livius reading holiday classics like A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And a different edition of A Christmas Carol. Hmm. And as a real treat, a print edition of A Christmas Carol. Now I'm sure you're thinking a treasure trove like this must go for at least $360,000. No, not $360,000. Your firstborn child? No, not your firstborn child. I'm willing to offer you this Yuletide yummy for the low, low price of $159.99. What a bargain. What a bargain indeed. But that's not all. Act now and also throw in the full set of Liv's lunches. That's right, the full Panera Bread experience. What? What do you mean I can't say Panera Bread? I play what I just did, didn't I? That's right, the full bread and soup based casual restaurant chain experience. It's It's sweeping stereophonic sound. (laughs) To get the 63 CD booked, holiday series, and a set of Liv's lunches for $159.99. A bargain. Yes, you've already established it's a bargain. Anyway, to unwrap all this holiday cheer, all you have to do is dial 188-BOOKED. Again, that's 188-B-O-O-K-E-D, period. Call today. Do not call. Not a real phone number. I will be spending my Christmas in a bus station bathroom. You know, that's what this podcast has been missing. 180-something episodes. I feel like something's missing. An infomercial. Yeah, you know. That's what we've been missing the whole time, a goddamn infomercial. So, waste no time. Order up your 63 CD set, 63 CDs, 64. Whatever it is. And get bonus Libs lunches. You will hear me chewing on a cheeseburger in my car. That's magical. That's pretty cool. I enjoy it. 
I'll give you uh, as much of this as, as anybody ever needs. <laughs> that was great that he actually took this out. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, you know that there was actually like us. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, I, you know, I didn't get it with the sniffle. I thought he might have been mimicking you, but then I heard my like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's that's us. Yep. So, um, Not bad. so thank you, Triple A, for that. Um, I think that we might be hearing from Mr. Otten in some future installments of whatever weird shit he's doing. All right, now we should talk about Donnie Booked, right? Have we strung people along long enough? Uh, yeah. So anybody who... Uh I'm assuming everybody's listened to this voted. So you know what? There were six categories. There was book review. Um, there was author, which there was tons of authors to vote from. There was the guest appearance. There was the interlude episode, everybody's favorite. Uh, <laughs> it was a joke. There's a live reader round. <laughs> and um, story from the booked anthology. Those were the six categories. And um, I think, uh, what are we going to do? Top three or top five? What do you think? No, we're gonna, I think we're going to do top three. Cool. Um, here's, here's the thing. So here's a little bit about the voting process. So Rob set up uh, something on SurveyMonkey because he does all of our behind-the-scenes technological stuff. First off, it got to the point, if you didn't hear me mention on the last episode, that we had to buy a premium account <laughs> because we got a lot more votes than we expected. <laughs> so... Um, the ultimate Donnie booked winner owes us like 25 bucks um, for having to do that. Second of all, we said, not jokingly, if anyone thought we were joking, that this is not a goddamn democracy and that our votes will weigh more than everybody else's because we're the ones that have to do this and read the book every week and then record this thing and then poor Rob has to do all the goddamn editing, you know. So <laughs> so we weighted our votes fairly heavily, I would say, right? We we definitely weighed, weighed our votes heavily. Can I say it didn't make a goddamn bit of difference not in a any of these categories? Yeah. yeah, it did not change one outcome, regardless of, in, in some cases, I, I voted for the winner. Some cases, I didn't. It didn't matter either way. And, and so. it's not to say that we didn't warn you assholes. Um, we were like, you better get people to vote for you because there's some strong you know, leaders. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, should we just do them? Let's just do them the way they are. The order of the on the. Oh wait, you know what? Let's get let's get rid of the interlude first because let's face it, even we don't care about that one. I actually had my hopes up and they were dashed. <laughs> there are only five, so maybe we don't need to do a top three. <laughs> Although it was close between one and two. Yeah, it was. All right, so number two. So this is the runner-up in the category best interlude episode of the five that we had. Um, in what was the closest outcome in any of these. Episode 130, which included Booked Wins the This Is Horror Award. Uh, we talk about the holidays and Rob's expensive pen. It was within 1% of the other. That's how close it was to being the winner. Yeah, that's insane. So, the winner, drumroll, whatever. Um, episode 175, a Broken River Books, Horror is Dying. Liv reads Kevin Helmick and booked auditions, which in all fairness, the, the booked auditions, that stuff is just awesome. So that probably deserved a win. I, I think that I think that the listeners were, were, were dead on. Although I have to say that I was really hoping episode 130 would win because it was really, really, it was a really, really good episode. If I had to like, if someone was like, you know what, I don't know if I'm ready for a book review, but what should I listen to to get an idea of what the podcast is like? I probably would point them at episode 130. There you go. So, Donnie booked winner for interlude like anybody's still listening at this point to me talk about interludes. Episode 175. Boom. All right, the uh first the first one that you guys all voted on was the book review round. So, these are we it was a list of all the books that we had reviewed within 2013 by the time the voting started. And um we're just going to give you a nice quick top 3. So, here's the top 3 for uh book the book round. Um, there's a tie for third place between uh, That Ghoul Ava by T.W. Brown and Big Egos by S.G. Brown. Different Browns. They're not related. It's not a familial thing. Um, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the third sp- third place spot uh, tied, tied between those two books. Number two, which is surprising because it happened so recently, um, but not surprising because it's such an excellent book, 
The Least of My Scars by Stephen Graham Jones. Number two spot by a hair just squeaking in over the top of um, Big Ego's and that cool Ava. And the number one spot in book by a long shot by more than half of the other votes. Uh, Fish Bites Cop by David James Keaton. Are you surprised? A little bit. Really? Hmm. Interesting. Can I tell you about the dream I had this afternoon, just because it's kind of relevant? <laughs> of course. This afternoon I had like the most goddamn realistic dream that I was reading a novella by S.G. Brown, and I got to the last page, and there were two people thanked in the in the acknowledgments, oh, and I was and I was one of them. Oh. I was so goddamn disappointed when I woke up. That's how realistic <laughs> it was. I woke up and I was like, "Man, I was really excited about that." I don't even know what he thanked me for because it was like a dream. Like I saw it but didn't read it. I just saw my name and thank you too. So it's all right. Not thanked in the acknowledgments of his book. He doesn't win our contest. I think that's fair. Wow. Because that's how I roll. Moving right along, um, we're going to move into... um, All right, so this one was kind of a little bit of a weird category. Um, And then this was one author that we reviewed because we did review multiple books from a couple of authors this year. So um, in third place... Tie. Not a huge surprise. Another tie for third place. Yeah, third place is a popular place to, to tie. Um, I'm glad you said that because they're so cool. I thought it was okay. So in a third place, a tie between Les Edgerton, whose book, The Rapist, we reviewed here um, a few months ago. Chuck Wendig mm. um, of Wendig Month at Booked Podcast um, from when we reviewed Blackbirds. Wendig, Blackbirds and Mockingbird. 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 Sorry. So of Blackbirds and Mockingbird. Second place. S.G. Brown, who did not thank me in the acknowledgments to his next novella. <laughs> um, first place. By a hair. By a hair this time. There was no, no, it was it was really close here. Uh, David James Keaton. <laughs> All right, so that's, <laughs> we're looking at the tally so far. One is for an interlude episode and two first place spots in David James Keaton so far. Yeah. One of the categories that we did, and we thought it would just be cool because uh, we had one of the big things that happened to us this year was um, that that we released the booked anthology. So one of the categories we did was the best story from the booked anthology. Um, So it's technically 27 stories were eligible because we included the two from the ebook round, which means that I could have won this. Did I? No. No, but you get an honorable mention. I'm up there, man. I'm in the top five. You are you are ahead of yeah, you are ahead of twenty authors in this thing. <laughs> so <laughs> so let's do the top three. We'll run that down. Um which is gonna be four stories because again there's a tie. Uh third place goes to one of my favorite stories in the book, The Mulligan by Joshua Allen Deach. Second place this time is a tie, it's not third place. Second place is tied between Faces on the Milk Carton by T.W. Brown. Again, T.W. Brown lingering around the top three spots. And Pound of Flesh by Fred Venturini. Another one of my favorite stories in the book. They're all my favorite stories, but anyway. Before you announce the, the winner of this one, can I just say, can I can I tell you who I voted for for this? Um, I will tell you, in, in my mood, as my you know, in a different day of the week, I'll tell you a different thing. But yeah, I kind of wanted the mulligan to win. I mean, it's an excellent story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the I will say that the story that I voted for also did not win. Um, so that's yeah, just you voted for your own story, right? Oh man, could I have? <laughs> Why didn't that would have put didn't. me? That's the question. That would have put me in the top. Damn it! I should have put me. Anyway, I'm too foolish. Too foolish. So the actual the number one story, the top story, the most voted on story by a bit of a margin, Dragon by the dumpster by. David James Keaton. David James Keaton can't get a, can't get away from this guy. He is sweeping. God, God damn it! <laughs> All right. Oh, live read around. So um, we had twenty authors um, read do perform live readings, including the book release party reading. Um, we also had a reading from Boston, and where else do we do readings? Uh, Corydon, Indiana. This year, right? Was that this year? We had, no, yeah. It wasn't this year. 
Um, it was this year, yeah. Yep, and Sunday Salon in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yep, So and Indianapolis. So, in uh, third place, another tie. Um, this one's just kind of kind of a amusing tie because uh, these uh, these guys have uh, we talk about them in tandem quite frequently. Jedediah Ayers, who read at Noir at the Bar, Indianapolis, our most recent reading, tied for third place with Scott Phillips, also Noir at the Bar, Indianapolis. And they could really Voltron together and like you know. Yeah, if well, if you added their votes together, it still doesn't quite hit number one. Doesn't yeah, doesn't quite. Second place, also from Noir at the Bar, Indianapolis. So Donnie booked runner-up for live reader Les Edgerton, um, who was also in the top three for for authors too, right? Uh, yes, and just kind of an all-around awesome guy. Awesome guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, he gets no extra points for that though. Um, the winner for live reader. This one did not surprise me even in the least, um, as uh, this is where my my votes went. Although it did not alter the outcome, I voted honestly and pushed David James Keaton ahead of the other guys even further. Yep, by he won by twice the, what anybody else got. Yeah, easily. yeah, I know. <laughs> so all right, so here's the tally so far. We have an interlude episode and three wins, four wins for David James Keaton. <laughs> Now there's one final category that um, people had the opportunity to uh, to topple David James Keaton. The unfortunate news is it's the guest appearance uh, category, which David James Keaton qualified for. Um, but let's see how it shakes out. Number three spot. There's no tie in this one, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the number three spot goes to Chuck Wendig, who we did an interview with. Um, during our Wendig month toward the beginning of the year, which was pretty awesome. The number two spot, fittingly, goes to one of uh, what I, I consider booked family, one of the one, oh, yeah, the, absolutely. one of the closer closer booked family members, Sean P. Ferguson, who uh, guest reviewed, uh, I think, at least once, if not twice this year. And the number one spot. Anybody who's going to be surprised by this is a goddamn idiot david james keaton (laughs) not only was a guest reviewer but we also did an interview with this year so that's david james keaton pulling out the broom and sweeping the shit out of donnie booked round one oh i'm sure that in that interlude episode we probably mentioned david james keaton and that could be why all right yeah we probably did yep all right so that's it david james keaton won everything as he predicted, I would like to say on Facebook, like day two of the of the voting. Um, here's the thing. So originally what we were going to do is then we were going to have a vote off between all the winners, the six categories, and declare one winner. I'm not going to put up an interlude episode against five David James Keatons. <laughs> so Rob and I decided that we have declared David James Keaton as the overall Donnie booked winner for 2013. Congratulations, David James Keaton. I'm sending a bill for 24.95. <laughs> and it's really, it's. I mean, we're going into like slaughter rule territory. Like, oh my god, you know, this is brutal. The amount of votes he pulled in is just, um, it's impressive. Definitely impressive. So, one of two things has to happen now. First of all, we're going to have David James Keaton on the show to review a book with us probably next week. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Next year, if we do Donnie Booked again, one of two things has to happen. Either A, you and I are going to spend two weeks lobbying against David James Keaton, (laughs) not even for somebody else, just against him, or we disqualify him as a previous winner. Yeah, that might end up being the case. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll give him some heavy voting power as the the previous winner. Well, I mean... Because if we have him on, he's going to be eligible again. It's true. Um, but we need to have good good voting, voting karma, because um, we want people to vote for us for stuff as well. Oh, no, no, absolutely. So now that this is out of the way, David James Keaton, rally your armies around um, this book podcast, probably by default, because we are last year's winners, and we're not disqualified from this year's This Is Horror Awards, have been nominated for two This Is Horror Awards, alongside David James Keaton, I might add. Yeah, so uh, as we hoped for, um, we, we knew that we would probably be eligible for the Podcast of the Year Award, um, and we got nominated for that. Um, 
I was pushing for us to also be voted for or nominated for the anthology uh, category where Livius didn't really think as strongly about that as I did, but we are now uh, nominated for both of those categories. We are. All right, so here's what you're going to have to do. Here's what we're asking you guys to do. I'd like for you to go to your email, and you want to send an email to awards at thisishorror.co.uk with the subject line, Awards 2013 Votes. To cast a vote, simply write the category and your vote for each award. You are allowed to vote for your top two in each category. In podcasts, there shouldn't be a, a second one. Nope. You just should <laughs> You should ignore that direction because there's only one podcast you want to get your vote. Um, there are lots of great um, uh, entries to vote for, but let's be really honest. We really want you to vote for us podcast of the year so we can so we can put the hurt on the pseudopod folks again like we did last year. And for Lawrence Santoro, who's going to get beaten again this year by us. Um, so go ahead and do it. Booked. And then in Anthology of the Year, you can also select the Booked Anthology. That's right. Which would be awesome. We have some heavy competition from friends of the podcast as well. So this is going to be interesting. In the Anthology of the Year, um, there's uh, a book edited by Cameron Pierce. Uh, so that's being... Yeah. That's perfectly acceptable for number two in Anthology I, of yeah. the Year. I will definitely accept that as number two. So uh, if you want to, to check out the full list of, of categories and nominees, this is horror.co.uk slash horror dash awards dash 2013. That's going to take you right to it. Um, there'll be links in the post of this episode and probably all over Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we definitely we cannot. Here's the thing. If you, if you like, and this is my plea, knowing my co-host if you like the podcast you want this to continue you want livius to not kill himself like a la david carradine in the closet autoerotic asphyxiation style we need to win this award because it's gonna end very badly if we don't do you know i spent the better part of two weeks nominating us for a stitcher award (laughs) um so did i Good. <laughs> so I'm not sure about the Stitcher Awards this year because we got kind of a late start on on pushing the nominations. So this year, this is horror. Of course, next year, this is horror. So for as long as they're in business, we're gonna we're gonna lock down that podcast of the year award, and then next year, Stitcher. That's right, Stitcher. We're gunning for you. Yeah, because I'm no longer mad at Stitcher. By the way, I got over that. So get out there and vote, but share it and make sure you encourage other people to vote for us. Um, because we need to just like stuff that ballot box, that sweet, sweet ballot box. Yeah, it's got a little sexy yeah. on the ballot box there. I noticed that's I'm getting a little wistful <laughs> on thinking about that. So, yeah, so please, please vote if you have multiple email addresses. I totally encourage you to vote multiple times. I'm not sure if there's a rule about that, but let's face it, they're not going to know any different. While you're there, once you're done casting your vote, why don't you check out, there's a nice little column called Dead Pixels. It's TV, uh, horror-related TV uh, column by a very handsome gentleman named Rob Olson. Who's that by? Who's who's that by? Me. Oh, you. Yeah, that's right. So I wrote the first one, A Creepy Thing About Hannibal and My Dreams, and I wrote, a, I wrote another one, the second edition that just came out recently. Uh, it's me talking about the TV show American Horror Story, so I encourage you to check that out. I like American Horror Story. It's good stuff. Yeah, dude. Um, so, dude, do you know how many book reviews we've done? Yeah. <laughs> this is something that I've just felt terrible about really recently because, like, I, I know I've known for a while we've been hitting, we've been on the verge of hitting a milestone, and then suddenly, boom! Um, oops, we hit that milestone. <laughs> and we just kept going. This. What you listen to this evening is our 103rd book review. Over the course of two and a half years. Dude, that's goddamn crazy. That's a lot of books. <laughs> that is a lot of books to review. I mean, I, I know that there are people that read more than a book a week, but you know, there's a lot more work that goes into this. Mostly for Rob. Mostly for me. But <laughs> Mostly for Rob, but yeah, 103 book review. So happy 103rd book review, buddy. Happy 103rd. Here's to so, another hundred and three. At least. 
at least. So unless I manage to outsource the book reviews. Now you're talking. We'll just get a, a triple A to do everything for us. Dude, I'm telling you, eventually we'll have a whole army of triple A's <laughs> just doing this whole thing for us. And then every review is going to be like, what about that first chapter? The first chapter was so goddamn good. Yeah. I love the last line of that book. So, <laughs> All right. You got anything else to talk about or is that it? Well, we did promise the listeners something. Well, at least we threatened that something would happen if something else didn't happen on this holiday episode of Booked. Do you remember what that was? That's right. Skip Papersley was about to get his uh, walking papers. Skip Papersley has risen from the grave like Jesus on Easter and brought another episode of Book News. In which, in which we kind of we, we we kind of get a like an honorable mention for the book anthology. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Amazon's top five best-selling Kindle ebook edition of 2013 list includes the following books. The Husband's Secret by Lyanne Moriarty. Sycamore Row by John Grisham. Divergent by Veronica Roth. Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And Inferno by Dan Brown. Coming up as honorable mentions on the list this year include Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. Allegiant and Insurgent, both by Veronica Roth of the Divergent series, and The Great Gatsby, which coincidentally topped the list of customer complaints this year. People claim that reading is too hard and books should just play themselves like movies. In other news, we compiled the Book News Best of 2013 list. At number one, the delightful, mysterious, deep, and life-changing novel Gone Girl as Best Novel of 2000 and Forever. Coming in second place this year is Robert R. Ketchum's Stuff It, A Guide to Old-Timey Taxidermy. And in third place is The Booked Anthology. Finally, New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Dozing off the list is Dr. Sleep by Stephen King at number five. Flying out of the little birdhouse in our soul is Goldfinch by Donna Tartt at number four. Tom Clancy takes command of the third spot with Command Authority. Second place is The First Phone Call from Heaven by Mitch Album. And John Grisham strolls into number one with Sycamore Row. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right, yeah, now I see what you're saying, Livius. We're seeing um, Skip's true colors a little bit. Nobody, including the booked anthology, is ever going to be as good as Gone Girl by uh, Gillian Flynn. <sighs> yeah, I, you know, I have I ever told you how bad I feel that we didn't review Gone Girl? <laughs> so many people talk it to me been, about that book on a daily basis. I'm like, I've heard good things. I want you to understand, maybe not by us, but it has been mentioned more times on this podcast than House of Leaves or Kiss Me Judas or I, than any other book that we've had. Raw Shark Texts. <laughs> and we didn't review that book. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Raw Shark Texts. My retweet that I got? Or my... Remember the retweet that I got? Mm-hmm. No? Yes. <laughs> right. Sorry. For those listeners who don't give a damn, you have to listen to this anyway. Recently, I tweeted that um, all my Apple products that I own, which is five different Apple products, um, are named after characters from the Raw Shark texts. And uh, not very long after I tweeted that, it was retweeted by Stephen Hall himself. So I consider that somewhat of a victory in my life. Stephen Hall, who um, has a Doctor Who, it's kind of like a novella short story thing that I'm probably going to read this week. But he's also been um, posting stuff from his newest book. On uh, the forum, I was going to mention that if you didn't mention it. He's been, um, there was like a couple weeks or a week or something where he was posting quotes uh, from his upcoming book called like The End of the End or something weird like that. Yeah. I definitely think that we're probably going to end up reviewing that. And we're going to use Rob's tweet power to try and get the man on the show. Man, that would be so cool. I got to tell you, if we get him on the show, he might be our new favorite Brit. That's all I'm saying. Ouch. Watch out. Craig Walwork. (laughs) Craig. Michael Wilson. Yeah. Michael Wilson. Yes. If we get Stephen Hall, I'm going to be in love with a new new bloke. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's just going to be all talking about fannies and knickers all the time. Yep, pretty much, pretty much. 
So I think next week, and I don't have confirmation yet, but I do believe that our Donnie Booked winner will be joining us for a book review. And if that is the case, it will be Triple X Seamus by pseudonym author something or another from Broken River Books. The very the very mysterious Red Hammond. That's it, Red Hammond. <laughs> um, yeah, because if you've learned anything from listening to 186-ish, 187 episodes of this podcast is if you win anything with us, we put you to work. So That's right. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.